You may read along with today's scripture that is printed in your worship folder and is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Hear God's word. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one family. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be beneficial, that it may benefit those who listen. And so do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and comp compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Thank you, Bob. Shall we pray? Grant, O oh God, that what we read with our eyes, understand with our mind, and receive into our memory, we may go out to show forth in our lives. Grant that what we learn by your grace, we use to your glory. Amen. You're probably familiar with the phrase, this is where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. It usually means something like, uh, it's, this is where it gets really serious, or uh, it, it, it means this is where the action begins. Uh, I think it's also when theory becomes reality. And that's what's going on here in Ephesians, uh, where Paul has already explained God's plan of salvation in cosmic terms. To quote him, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That plan begins with God saving individuals by grace through faith, Paul writes in Ephesians. But God was not content with uniting individuals to himself. He also wants to unite Jew and Gentile. He intends to unite them to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. And the purpose of all this uniting is to make known through the church the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we have Paul who ascends to the upper echelons of the universe as he gives an account of what God is doing <clears throat> in Jesus. But now it's time for him to come back down to earth to tell us exactly what God's cosmic plan means to us as we live our daily lives at home, at work, at church. Last week in Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, we heard Paul tell us that God's plan for reunification means we in the church are to 
quote, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, if that unity is so crucial to God's plan, then we absolutely must be united as the body of Christ. But how do we translate that unity into the work of Christ on earth? Well, Paul begins to explain this in verses seven, verse 17, 18, and 19 by bluntly saying, we must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Then he goes on to devastatingly critique what this means to live as the Gentiles do. But he gets more positive in verse 22, where he says we must put off our old self and put on the new self. But what does that mean? Well, Paul is so exact in his list of how we digest the salvation of God in Jesus that he gives us moral instructions. Uh, it's kind of a moral checklist, but I, I don't think we ought to treat it as a checklist because if we do, we can become despairing that we'll never live up to these expectations or we'll become self-righteous and say, oh, I've checked off all those, Paul. Yeah, I don't need to worry about those. So how can we think about Christian living in a world where one poll after another says that Christians don't really live any differently than non-Christians, except that Christians are judgmental, narrow-minded, and bigoted. Well, if we pay careful attention to Paul's words, we should be able to, uh, to call one another to a lifestyle of powerful witness to the effectiveness of God's grace as he has united all things in Christ. There are four main things in today's passage that I think we should pay close attention to, four of them. One, notice the areas of living Paul points to as he begins to describe everyday Christian living. I shared them with the children, so you've heard them once. They are speech, anger, and possessions or material things. Um, other churches have defined uh, a distinctively Christian life in narrower terms like don't go to the movies, or don't dance, or don't play cards. Well, that's how to avoid living as the Gentiles do, but there's a good reason that Paul gives this checklist so it, it can separate us from the things of the world that would tend to defeat God's mission on earth. The danger is that we may think that if we just don't do some things, that we're being very good Christians. But Paul says there's something even more basic than that. Where we go and what we do for entertainment aren't nearly as important as the way we talk and how we deal with anger and our attitude toward possessions, material things. In fact, Paul instructs uh, three, these three areas of human life that are reminiscent of Greco-Roman ethics that some scholars think that he was just borrowing those from the culture of his day. But I think Paul gives a distinctive spin on each of these areas. For, it, for instance, he gives the reason we should pay attention to our speech, how we talk. He says the reason is we are all members of one body. Not speaking truthfully destroys the trust that's so important in the church, in the body of Christ. 
So we need to speak honestly and truthfully. We are all members of one body. Then in verse 29, Paul urges edifying speech so that it may benefit those who listen. A more literal translation of verse 29 indicates our speech not only benefits others, but it has the potential to show God's grace to them. The way we talk can show God's grace to those who listen. So in that way, our, our speech, our everyday talk, can contribute to God's work of grace in the world. I think that's just incredible to think of that. But that's what Paul's saying. There are also some sayings in this passage that are really quite hard to understand. For instance, when we get to the topic of anger and the quote that Paul includes from Psalm 4, in your anger, do not sin. There are a multitude of interpretations, uh, and we have to wonder, is, is Paul just laying down a command? Is he uh, saying that we have permission to be angry? Is he conceding to the fact that all of us get angry at one time or another? But the reasons for us to manage our anger are distinctly Christian. If we don't manage it and we let it fester or simmer, we give the devil a foothold in our lives, says the apostle. So he can use us then to accomplish his evil and divisive work. Or to put it positively, if we deal with our anger and get rid of all forms of anger and instead forgive one another, we are modeling the work of God in Jesus Christ. Additionally, the reason we must stop uh, stealing, as he goes on to the next topic, that of material things or possessions, uh, if we, we, the reason we must stop stealing and do honest work with our hands is not just so we can support ourselves and our family and not be a drag on society, but Paul ups the ante by explaining that Christians should work hard so that we might have something to share with those in need. So we can be generous. May the thief now become a benefactor. May the thief become a donor. What would the world think of the church if we were known for our benevolent giving to those in need? When we work for a reason like that, Paul says we are participating in the mission of God in the world. The second thing to notice in our passage today uh, is that we understand a uniquely Christian life is primarily about what we do, not what we do not do, not what we're prohibited from doing, but about what we're called to do. With each imperative, Paul moves from a negative to a positive. We replace falsehood, for instance, with truth. We replace anger with forgiveness. We replace stealing with generosity. We replace unwholesome talk with edifying speech that displays God's grace and builds up other people. You see, sadly, Christians are too often known for what we're against, so we come across as critical and negative. But our scripture calls us to qualities and behaviors that are positive and life-enhancing and freeing 
and forgiving. There are, of course, sins we must avoid. Paul is withering in his critique of pagan society in verses 17, 18, and 19, and his words about sexual impurity in the next chapter, in chapter 5, are scathing. But the bottom line is that God calls us to a countercultural lifestyle, not based on the rules, not based on law, but based on grace, based on love. Follow God's example, Paul writes in the first verse of chapter 5, and walk in the way of love. All right, that brings us to the third remarkable feature of these uniquely Christian ways of living, and it centers on forgiveness. The way of love to which we are called is a particular kind of love. All of you know that there are different Greek words for love in the New Testament. So this is not the eros love of the bedroom. This is not the philos love of the kitchen table or the backyard fence. This is the agape love of the cross that Paul is calling us to. We are called not merely to be nice to people who like us or only take care of those we feel bond, bound to, but to give ourselves up for those who treat us poorly, maybe even shamefully. How can we possibly make such a sacrifice? Only by keeping our eyes on the one who made a sacrifice for us. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, Paul says, just as in God, in Christ, God forgave us. You see, a life that is worthy of the name of Christ primarily is characterized by a love that forgives and sacrifices for other people who don't deserve it. That's how Christ lived his life. That's how Paul says we ought to live. And the fourth and the last thing from our passage is that genuinely Christian living depends on and is grounded in the work of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's remember the overall theme of Ephesians is explained in lofty and noble terms, but Paul's words about the Trinity in this passage help us to process all that. We must do all these things as dearly loved children of our Father who want to imitate their Father. We must do these things in the same way as God the Son did them, lovingly and sacrificially. And we can do all these things not relying on our own intellect or our own will or our own power, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. You see, Paul gives us a tip on that. He says, if we don't live this way, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We must live this way and we can live, live this way because of the vast investment of love that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have made in us. When we don't live this way, God's not going to terminate our adoption or our salvation. Rather, the Holy Spirit will weep just as human parents weep when their children stray. When we view Paul's list of expectations in light of the Trinity, we can't possibly understand them as a mere list of requirements for salvation. Instead, 
They're a way God's children live in positive, life-affirming, God-centered ways. And if we live that way, our lives will be a fragrant offering and sacrifice that will attract people to the one who gave his life for us all. Because the church consists of flawed and sinful people, like me, like you, there are always going to be disputes, disagreements, differences in the church. It's not a sin to disagree. It's not ungodly to hold a position different from your neighbor, your friend, your spouse, or even your pastor. No, but how we handle our disagreements when we disagree does matter. It matters a great deal. When we maintain respect, civility, compassion, love, and forgiveness during fights, even within the walls of the church, then what we do is we show the rest of the organizations, the rest of the people on this planet, how to live together. Rather than limiting life, Ephesians 4 liberates us from the ongoing presence of sin. And as any good marriage counselor will tell you, healthy relationships result from learning how to fight fairly. I think that's part of what Paul's laying out, is rules for fighting fairly. So he asks us to put our speech, our temper, and our work under the microscope, because we're all members of one body. And that's why Paul exhorts his readers to get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, along with every form of malice, which have no place in the body. At the very end of our scripture, uh, Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Well, that sounds pretty simple, don't you think? Well, it's a beautiful description of how Christian people are urged to relate together, but it's not always simple. Sometimes it's quite challenging, especially the forgiveness part. Columnist Irma Bombeck used to write about the problem of relationships within families, and one of her readers wrote to her to say his 16-year-old daughter yelled downstairs from the second floor the other day, has anyone seen my new sweater? And her father yelled back, do you mean the one that cost me $75? And then her sister yelled back, do you mean the one that you won't let me wear? And then her grandmother chimed in and said, you mean the one with the neckline that's too low? And then her mother got in the act and said, you mean the one that has to be washed by hand in cold water? Everyone was talking about the same sweater. They all had a different viewpoint on this sweater. Truth is, I think all of us could use a little education, a remedial course for perhaps in listening, and then go on to a college course in sensitivity, and then a graduate level course in the instruction that we receive from Paul, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving as in Christ, God forgave you. I think we have a lot to learn. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us. A video recording of this service can be found on YouTube or Facebook by searching for Kenmar Church.